Father God, I'm so excited about this group of people and those who are, who are kind of regulars with us and, uh, and those who are just joining us for the first time tonight. And as always, we, we acknowledge your presence in our study and uh, appeal to you uh, to teach us, Jesus. These are, these are your words, and they're eternal words, and they're significant words, and they're powerful words, and they're personal words. And so you know what each of us need this evening as we study together. And so uh, prompt our hearts and minds to be alert to what you're doing uh, in, in our hearts and minds that, that make us more like you. Jesus, be glorified in our study time is my prayer in your name. Amen. Amen. Good, good. All right. Let's get to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Before you do that, you skipped Janice. Who did I skip? Janice. Right no, after, no, right after Janice. You were on the phone at the time, Cindy. Vicki, I mean, you were on the phone. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, my daughter called me. Yeah, that's important. Uh, Matthew, the fifth chapter, we're going to pick up at verse 27. We had so much fun with murder and anger and reconciliation last week that, what, we're Jesus just <laughs> going to jump right into another one that sure sounds like fun okay so here we go let's take 27 and 28 you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery but i tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart and this is kind of a hey ladies you're off the hook verse apparently you know uh but there's application here of course right but uh Jesus is quoting, and it could be either Exodus 20, 14, the Ten Commandments, or, or it could be Deuteronomy 5, 18, where the commandments are, are repeated. But nonetheless, you know, as murder begins with anger, Jesus says adultery begins with lust. And he's much more concerned, although he is concerned, but he's more concerned about the, the, the core issue than the behavior. Uh, behavior needs to be corrected, but he wants to get right to the root of, of the matter. And, and so he said, Jesus says, adultery, uh, I'm going I'm to deepen it. I'm going to refine it, and I'm going to take it right down to the level of desire that is fertilized by a gaze or allowed to become inflamed within. It's anyone who looks, which is in the, the Greek, is, it has the connotation of leering, you know, staring at, for any length of time with the direct intention of lustfully looking. And so Jesus says, sexual relations begin in the eye with a sexually intended staring. And without hesitation at all, Jesus lays the full, response to, full responsibility on the man and expects the man, males, to be able to control their desires. And the most stunning part of it is he makes adultery equivalent to lust and lust equivalent to adultery. Okay, what's this do for y'all? Well, I think he was he was pointing at um, internal purity. 
uh, what what you can control in your own body more so than the act itself. Okay. What yeah, are once, the... once again, he's concerned with our hearts over our actions, the condition of our heart. Okay. That's true. What are... are... Oh, go ahead, Steve. I'll be the first guy to speak on this. So I'll be the, the guinea pig. <clears throat> I, you know, he's setting the, the standard higher, right? He's setting the bar higher, obviously, because he knows that if, if someone is walking around with these desires, it, it's, it's actually... It's 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 going to interfere with their relationship with God. So he's 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 getting down to like nipping it in the bud early. Uh, for me, it's like a preventive thing, and to keep that person in communion with God. Because if you have all those desires, then you can't desire holiness and that and and, and harbor that at the same time. So I I just what I get from it is that he's it's a calling to a higher level of uh, intimacy with God and he's going to pave the way for that. Okay. I think it's, it seems like it's more than the behavior starts in the heart. It's, it's sort of that the, the spiritual being is the heart. So it's, it's, um, it is as important. If the goal is to, purify yourself as much as possible we're humans you know that's pretty hard for some of us but uh it's it's uh it starts at the heart it starts at the spirit your soul okay every monday morning i i send a text to a, a bunch of guys i would say young men but you know, Hal and I, everybody's young to us, you know, but I, I, hey, I speak said, to yourself now. Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, every, everyone's young to me. <clears throat> um, and I, and here's, here's what I wrote the guys on Monday. I said, Hey, I'm, I lead this. I facilitate this group on Wednesdays and here we're studying. And the verse, one of the verses this week is, you know, I say to you, anyone that looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I said, this remains one of the biggest challenges in my life. And these words of Jesus radically reinforce my need for a savior. Yeah, I, I might be able to blow it off with, well, look how good I am. You know, I haven't committed adultery in 30 years. But, uh, you know, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. I know your thoughts. I know what goes on inside of you. And it's as bad as adultery. And I go, wow, do I need a savior? I continued and said, however, Jesus is not trying to condemn or discourage me. Instead, he is talking about my identity. He is telling me that his followers not only take adultery off the table, but they work to set aside lust because lust is just not consistent with being a Jesus follower. Olympic athletes maintain disciplined lives and specific diets. And because they identify as Olympic athletes, they can avoid and walk away from apple pies covered in ice cream. 
enticing for sure, but eating it would run counter to who they are and what they want to do so they make the best choices. You and I are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let's really focus on our identity and purpose this week and see if we notice a difference in the way we live. Because I don't see condemnation in this. But think about it for a minute and tell me what are the, the implications when Jesus makes lust, you know, uh, looking at a woman lustfully, holding on to that, you know, just sitting in and, and leering, when he makes that equivalent to adultery, what are the implications for how we relate to other people within the church? And I'm probably not wording that well. Yeah, run it back. Okay. <laughs> okay. There is a, there's a real implication for, I, th I think, I think there's an implication for us in the church. I'll even take it up a level and say, I think there's a real big implication for me as a pastor. If I really seriously take Jesus when he says, lust is as bad as adultery. Any thoughts? It's pretty ambiguous. Uh, I'll give it a shot. Okay. So from, you know, thinking about it deeper, uh, Jesus could be also addressing our appetite, our desire, our okay. desires ahead of our actions. Because um, the Pharisees and Sadducees at that time, when he addressed them, he was addressing their actions, but meaning like their actions were meaningless because of their intentions and their, you know, what, how their hearts were positioned. So if the action is not useful, even if you do something right, you know, like uh, traditional or cultural or uh, like religiously, then the actions are losing weight and we're not saved by our actions either. So we're going back to the heart and our desire and our spiritual connection. So if our appetite is to lust and the implication with how we, you said uh, how we deal with, look at people even in the church. Yeah. Then if we, we could smile and shake hands with everybody, but maybe not like certain people or distance ourselves from certain people or we could, we could do the actions that like make it seem that we have kindness and towards people or a lovingness towards one another, but we're not really loving them just because the action has to be our intentional um, inner, like we have to love them from, from our hearts, from our desire to truly love them the way God loves us. So okay. that's the implication that I'm getting that like, it's a deeper, like, if, if lusting and just looking and desiring to lust, then what are as our desires uh, with each other? And in that sense, like what are our true feelings towards one another as opposed to our actions? Do they line up? Yeah. And I think God wants uh, from us a clean and pure heart. And uh, he wants us to exercise part of the fruit of the spirit, which is self-control. So we have to have the self-control and um, 
to keep ourselves, I mean, our bodies are the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? And he wants us to be holy. So, I mean, it, it, the sin starts in the mind and then goes to the heart. And then if we let it go, it, it goes into action, right? And he's trying to say, you, you better, you know, put your brakes on and, and think about this because I want you to be holy. Yeah, in the culture he was addressing, it was all about your actions. It's all about what you did or did not do. And people were actually very, could be very prideful about what they did or did not do and found themselves feeling very justified to God as if I'm perfect or I'm doing everything I should do because I did or did not do these actions. And Jesus raises the bar and said, well, that's, that's not enough. You know, he's, he's going to be enough, but your actions are not enough. It's not yeah. about what you can do or can't or don't do. Yeah, it's not enough about what they do, like you say, but what was in their hearts? What were they feeling? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, I mean, probably, I wasn't thinking about it. You're right. He was speaking to a lot of Jewish people. So he was probably, uh, it's probably right. He was probably saying, hey, you know, it's here. It's in the heart. Yeah. Yeah. Vicki? I kind of think he was condemning them. Um, I think he was shooting to the heart that you have to be pure. You have to live to a higher standard. And if you're looking at someone lustfully or, or even thinking about what you might want to do with them, then I can see where he said that that's as bad as adultery. And I think he was condemning them that they need to shape up their lives. Yeah. Well, I, I, and also, I agree. And I, I think it was also a way for him to begin to convince people they couldn't do it on their own and they were going to need a savior because what they were doing wasn't enough and they couldn't actually do what was enough. And if I may, yes, Connie. If we bring it into today's society, yes, we have to be very careful because there are churches, groups of people in the church that are changing the rules. Well, he didn't really mean this. You can do that. You can you can allow yourself to do this or do that, even though it's it appears to be in direct conflict with what he was saying. And we have to be on guard yeah. every moment to be truly into the word and not just taking somebody's word. It's okay to do this, even though scripture says you shouldn't do this, but it doesn't really mean that because after all, we're in a different culture. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree, but I'm not sure that we could ever, even when we're on guard, we could ever be perfect enough. And that's why we need Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. Steve? I just, I left out that I, 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 one thing that always stands out to me is how Jesus called uh, the Pharisees, Sadducees, you know, the, these uh, religious teachers, he called them hypocrites like, publicly. And that's, you know, when he's talking about our inner intentions and desires, he's telling us basically it's not okay to be a hypocrite. Oh. It's not okay to be a hypocrite. 
and that doesn't that doesn't that's not okay anymore that's not acceptable it never was no but now that you have the grace to carry on and and you you know jesus is going to pave the way to reconcile us to bring us back to intimacy with god the way we originally were supposed to be now's the time where we got to step it up and definitely we can't come with the veil removed as a hypocrite right right and here here's an implication for for me uh, that that re, in regards to the church as a whole, okay. Um, if the bar was only you should not murder, if the bar was only you should not commit adultery, then most of us could sit in church this coming Sunday and feel pretty good about ourselves. And as we're sitting in church feeling pretty good about ourselves. If Fred walks in and we are aware that Fred and his wife are having problems because he walked out on her and committed adultery, we might be tempted to go, oh, Fred. But Jesus says, let's take a survey of the room, men. How many of you have looked lustfully at a woman? Not, not the glancing look. You mean? You tuned it in and stared. How many of you? Well, all of us. Mm -hmm. And I think at that moment, Jesus says, you adulterers <laughs> saved by grace need to demonstrate some grace. By casting the first stone, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I think and, it goes for us girls, too. There's some pretty hunky-looking guys out there. <laughs> Absolutely, because society says it's okay in yeah. general. The, the bar has been lowered in society. We yeah. have to remember that our bar is not, that, is not low. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jesus is telling us, you know, my followers, you know, from, from within, because that's where he's doing all his work. You know, from within, my followers go, oh, that's not what a Jesus follower would do instead of, oh, my goodness, I can't do that because there's a rule. Right. Uh, and Jesus is changing the whole dynamic of this. And then again, I think it changes the whole dynamic in how we relate to one another with love and grace instead of judgment. Uh, because Jesus is making it virtually impossible in, in just two, two things, murder anger and adultery lust mm -hmm. is virtually making it impossible for any of us to sit in judgment of anybody else. And I, I, that, to me, that would be, if we could embrace that, that would be a radical dynamic change in a whole lot of our churches, maybe even in our own church. Yeah. I have to remind myself, I, I, I'm an ENTJ by the Myers-Briggs test, right? Yeah. So I have to be. I have to remind myself often that mine is not the judgment role. I, I don't. I'm not supposed to judge. I don't. I don't judge. I do, but I'm not supposed to judge. You know, <laughs> that's my personal battle. Yeah. Yeah. And won't you be excited when we get to judge not so you be not judged? But that's later. Oh. <laughs> I'm done for. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll be absent that night. Yeah, yeah well, <clears throat> to plan that ahead. Jesus has got, he continues, 
He says, this is really important. And then he continues in, in verses 29 and 30, and he just goes wacko, okay? He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Uh, commentators, again, saying this guy, Jesus is talking, you know, very directly to men. You know, why the right eye over the left eye? Because most, most people are right dominant. And so, you know, right eye gets that, you know, that preferential look. Why, why right hand? And some commentators were as, and spare me here, were as explicit as to say for right-handed men, it's the right hand that's used to masturbate. And so Jesus is saying very, very straightforwardly, if you're, you know, he says, if your eye is leading you astray, pluck it out. And if your right hand is offending you, cut it off, throw it away. Really? Could it be similar to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and that teaching? Because that te what that teaching was wasn't really about that. It was about equal justice. Although quite literally, it was an eye for an eye. <laughs> they yeah, would it was. Yeah, uh, sadly. I think he's just trying to point out you know, how serious how, it is. How serious it is about your your ability to get to to get with him in heaven. How difficult it is. And uh, I mean to throw away an eye or a hand in exchange for being in heaven is uh, it's at a very high standard. I mean it's a very high standard. Yeah. It's not just like, well, don't look at that lady. Pluck your eye out. Throw it away. Right? That's a little different level. He's basically saying there's nothing worth getting, uh, losing your salvation over or disrupting your relationship with God, even if it means your body parts. And you're better off losing one body part than your whole body. And that's what he says sums it up real simple. Precisely. Yeah. Anybody else want to wade into the every man on the screen tonight should go cut his right hand off? Did it? Well, <laughs> wait a minute. I'll just, say this, I'll just say this much. I am left eye dominant. Listen. <laughs> well, you're safe then. I'm you know, safe. Jim, I am really. Yeah, you right. mentioned yeah. hand uh -huh. being cut off, and somebody that's not here today had a hand injury. And that just made me think about that. Oh, man. If John, if John was here, we could be working John hard tonight. Yes, indeed. Hey. Um, <laughs> let's, let's step back for just a moment. And, and remember that Jesus is talking about lust. Where does lust reside? Is it in my eyeball? No. In your heart? My hand. No. 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 It's in my heart. In the heart. 
So if Jesus is saying the issue is that the lust that you allow to develop in your heart uh, uh, is, the, is equivalent to adultery, is cutting off my hand going to help my heart? No. Is plucking out my eye going to help my heart? Not at all. Isn't it interesting that the taking away these particular appendages, it doesn't do anything for the inner thought life, does it? No. I end up with no limbs eventually. Yeah. <laughs> so I think Jesus is, smart, you know, he's a pretty smart dude. I think he knows that, yes, this isn't going to help you stop having lustful thoughts. This isn't going to help you stop having lustful thoughts. Okay. Becoming a monk, is that going to help? No. No. Because there's going to be lustful thoughts, isn't there? Okay. I think, I think that Jesus is just saying, this is how radical you've got to be about this. You know, this is, this is, is, uh, uh, this is dying to desires. And he says, so it's, I, you know, let's not eliminate, uh, let's, you, you've got to eliminate what tempts that gaze. And Jesus, really, that's an internal thing. And I think there's a tendency for us to have a temptation to soften the potency of Jesus's words. Well, you know, but I don't think we are. I think when here, I think, you know, understanding that my eye and my hand have nothing to do with my heart, but the elimination of my eye and my hand indicates the radical nature that God thinks or that Jesus thinks his followers will go to to be like him. Or need to go to. Yeah. yeah. It's like the athletes you were talking about, you know? Yep. I mean, it's uh, not easy to do, of course. I mean, we're, we're fallible humans. Yep. But that's, Good. that's where we need to head. Try. All right. Any other thoughts about those four verses, about adultery and lust? I find it interesting that adultery comes right after murder. You know, it elevates this to, you know, we think murder is pretty serious. You know, you take yeah. some life there, they have no more life. Adultery, well, okay, it's not so good, but here it raises it up to a pretty high standard. And even thinking back to like the old, what, Greek, Stoic, and Epicurean, it's an amazing connection between the mental and the physical. Why does my mental affect my physical and vice versa? And that affects my spiritual relationship with God. When God is, seems like it's always a spiritual relationship, but it's actually a physical relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Wow. Yeah. That's whole person stuff, isn't it? Yep. Good. Good, good. All right, we'll venture in. We've got 20 or so minutes. <laughs> we'll step in the next pile. Um, verse 31, Matthew 5, 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, 
that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, it was good talking to you. Let's pray and uh, be done for today. Hey, okay, nice to see you guys. Yeah, it was a good session, good study. Technical difficulties. <laughs> oh, right, no. You know, divorce, divorce confuses the church today <laughs> because marriage confuses the church. And marriage confuses the church because love confuses the church. So often, and for the best of us, love is understood through the lens of romance, personal fulfillment, self-expansion, self-fulfillment, sexual satisfaction, and whatever lasting impressions we take away from Hollywood movies, TV shows, novels, and books about marriage, love, and relationship. And we don't, we don't always know what to think because love and marriage and divorce are confusingly connected. So one of the commentators I read had a really interesting foundation he wanted to lay. He said, to end the confusion about marriage, let's see if we can clarify or grasp something about what love means. And instead of going to 1 Corinthians 13 or all kinds of other places, he, he goes back to the Old Testament to God's covenant with Abraham and hence the entire Jewish nation uh, in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, where, where God makes his promises to Abraham. And the promises there, God's commitment to Abraham and to his ancestors is summarized with like this. God commits to be with them and for them unto full redemption. Abraham, I will be with you and for you until full redemption. So the covenant of the covenant understanding of love, at least as demonstrated between God and Abraham, is marital love reflects God's love, which means divorce destroys the reflection of God, who is utterly faithful. So marital love, if we define it by God's love, can be stated like this. Our love for our spouse is to be with them. Our love for our spouse is to be for them. And our love for our spouse is to be unto them for whatever it is that God has in mind for forming us. So Jesus is calling his followers to a better way to the way of love and marital faithfulness. Now, Jesus doesn't really quote a particular singular verse. He really kind of summarizes Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. And, and here's, here's how this sounds. If a man marries a woman who is displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, 
is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. This, these verses in Deuteronomy that introduce the, the, the Moses, the Mosaic, you know, exception there is full of question marks. If a man finds something indecent, what the heck does that mean? And, and, and Moses says, well, whatever that means, you know, write her a certificate of divorce, give it to her, and send her away. Well, in Jesus' day, these verses were understood as the minimal condition for justified divorce. The minimal condition for justified divorce. My, I found something indecent, whatever that means, in my wife. I write her a certificate of divorce. I give it to her in the presence of witnesses, and I send her from my house, and we're done. And But the Jews are looking at that as, well, this is the minimal. This is all I got to do to have a justified divorce. And Jesus trumps that interpretation. He goes right back to the strictness of what Moses himself said. Divorce is wrong except for one condition. Uh, wow. Okay, Jesus, can't we, you know. He's going to talk about it later in Matthew 19. In fact, in Matthew 19, he comes right up front and says, divorce is not part of the creator's design. It just was not this way from the beginning. And he goes on to explain, Moses only permitted divorce because the Israelites had hard hearts and they did not want to bear the full burden of God's law. And Genesis, you know, Jesus believes that Genesis 1-2 presents marriage as a, an unbreakable union created by God. The man and the woman become one flesh. Jesus is all about withness, oneness. But the hardness of, of people's hearts. And don't you know, as soon as Moses gives some permission to divorce, what what do people do with the permission to divorce? They, of course, jump on it and use it. Jump on it, use it, expand it, usually to their own liking. They, they could divorce back then for almost anything, couldn't they? I really? mean, I burned the eggs this morning, so Tom could have divorced me. Mm-hmm. That, that is one of those really challenging things that uh, with, with that group of people we said, talked to, that created the oral law, the scribal law, the ones that said, well, if God said that, then we don't need anything more. We just need to look at that and make a rule for every situation in life. And so they did. They took, you know, shall not divorce unless you find in this something indecent about her. And they went off to define indecent. And you're right, Vicki. It went down to the she burnt the toast to I, she's, she's fat and I don't love her anymore. It, 
there was a whole list of things that now became acceptable reasons. You know, that's what, that's what the Pharisees brought to Jesus in Matthew 19. That was their challenge. Jesus, is it really acceptable to divorce your wife for any and every reason? Well, Jesus stepped up in Matthew 19, and, and like he steps up here and says, absolutely not. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, and, and, and so he's, he's going to reel in the any and every reason and get back to God's design. And here, here in Matthew, the fifth chapter, he just, he just tells us, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality causes her to make her victim of adultery, causes someone who marries her to commit adultery. Um, he's going back to the mosaic. While this law was back in the Moses days, later on, Malachi, one of the prophets, you know, not, he, he rallied and railed against the laxity that divorce had become, you know, Malachi 2, 13 to 17, God hates divorce. And he just starts smacking the nation around for taking this permission for the hardness of their hearts and take giving full license to do whatever you want to do. And not all the Jews were so lenient, but again, that's why the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, any and every reason, Jesus? So Moses demands that a man who divorced his wife Sidebar, Mark 10, 12. Mark 10, 12 gives evidence that women could divorce their husbands. So I, just hold on to that. Okay. But uh, Moses demanded that a man who divorces his wife in the Jewish world give her a certificate of divorce. And, and Jesus is kind of reading that like, you know, you have heard it said that if a man wants to divorce his wife, he just simply has to give her a piece of paper. And Jesus is, is, is attacking that laxity and that permissiveness. And he says, no, you're making the most important issue, the grounds for divorce. I'm making it the nature of marriage. Uh, and so Jesus brings the whole, any and every reason to an abrupt halt not only by standing with Moses, but even going beyond and deeper than Moses. So in, here in these verses in Matthew 5, Jesus virtually makes divorce altogether prohibited. And Matthew makes it clear that Jesus restricts the legitimate grounds as such for divorce to no more than what Moses said, sexual immorality. Okay, we're going to talk about sexual immorality in a minute. How are we tracking so far? What do, you, what do you think about this? All I could think of was, was uh, the parallel to this country. I mean, I could get a divorce for incompatibility, whatever that is. Yeah. And it's easier to get a divorce nowadays. I mean, it's, you know, snap your fingers practically and you have one. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, how do we apply that to us, to to now, to 
but I, good. But I also think that people going into marriage now do not look at it as a lifetime event. And? Uh, and whose? Whose fault is that? Ours. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes, you know, I, I heard it when I was maybe growing up or, or somebody saying to somebody, like telling woman, you, you have to study because some, maybe someday if you get married and things go back, you, you need to have a career so you can support yourself, you know. Like, divorce is okay, you know. It's, I don't know, it's weird. No, no, okay, good, good. Just, just, and, and this is, I don't know the marital status of half of you on this screen or your previous, you know, experiences in life. So please hear me. You know, there, there is no condemnation or judgment. You know, we're just trying to discern, you know, what, what Jesus is trying to tell us, me, trying to tell you, and then trying to tell the, the people we might, might impact. So, you know, I, I don't ever believe that Jesus is, is standing at the door waiting to go, whammo, gotcha on that one. <laughs> um, any more than he was with the woman caught in adultery. You know, it, for him, it was, you, that wasn't good. That wasn't right. You shouldn't have done it. I can condemn you. I have the right to do that but I choose not to. But please don't take that as a liberty to go back and keep committing adultery. Well, Jim, if I yes. may, I learned that marriage wasn't forever by the way my parents lived their life. Yes. And by the, and, you know, by the way my grandmother lived her life that's how they learned and then yeah so i i didn't have a good example of any of that growing up i didn't know what it meant to be in a relationship forever i didn't know what that meant i didn't know the sacrifices i didn't know everything that you would go through in a marriage from the happy to the sad to the to the to the anger to the frustration to this just the the loneliness of it all over the years it, and it changes sure. on, with circumstances. Sure. But mm -hmm. if you're willing to, when John and I got married, my thought was, I don't want to ever do this again. I truly want a marriage that's going to last. Okay. Good, bad, and indifferent. And when it's tough, when it gets better, it's sweeter. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Others? And we're, we're, we're bouncing around Ileana's question. What is the application for us today? I'll tell you what, uh, I'll tell you what I think the application is for, you know, most of us on the screen right now, uh, you know, is, is Steve and Maddie stay married. <laughs> what? Brian, Shirley, stay married. Kyle and Alina, stay married. Why? Because exactly what Connie talked about. 
not only is it God's design for marriage, but we young Christians or Christians period within our body, our congregation need to see people who believe and can live out in the strength of God that marriage can be forever. I think that's one application. There's a lot of implications that I could see um, with the commitment side of it, um, being able to commit to uh, a wife or a husband or commit in marriage and then comparing it to our commitment to God and the ability not to turn away from those commitments based on, you know, challenges and so forth. So it, there could be also some foreshadowing, right? Where mm-hmm. the um, presentation of the bride of Christ and um, the commitment there is there. So if we become a people or a nation of um, lacking in commitment, even to someone that we're, on earth with and we see and we interact with uh in love and family and building you know have children together and, or just having that intimacy if we could walk away from that then we'll probably be also prone to walk away from god eventually when we don't have any kind of standard for commitment could be okay good Jesus said that the only reason for divorce would be sexual immorality. Yeah. But Jesus being God, and God in the beginning said what God had joined together, let not man separate. I can't imagine Jesus thinking that any reason would be a good reason for divorce. And I... You know, not speaking very well for Jesus, you know, uh, probably, but I, I think Jesus might have uh, made his statement really clear that said, you know, no divorce, period. Man's put, what God's put together, let not man separate, okay? But I think Jesus also has a compassion like Moses had that says, and I understand because I am God, that I am talking to a bunch of hard-hearted, selfish people. And am I going to let you, am I going to give you carte blanche to do it just because Debbie burnt the toast? No, no, no. But I, I, as God, understand the impact and the significance of the bond-breaking component of sexual immorality. So I, I don't, I think Jesus, again, I think, you know, looking here, looking at Matthew 19, uh, I think Jesus, um, you know, says, you know, marriage is forever. And because I understand the hardness of people's hearts, if you've got to, if there's sexual immorality, you can consider it. Isn't it interesting that even in Matthew 19 or, or here, he doesn't say, if there is sexual immorality, do it. it you know, it, it falls into the exception world, not to the do it world, okay? Otherwise, Debbie and I would not still be married. 
you know, Debbie's belief in commitment to God's design is the only thing that brought us through my, you know, my horrendous period of, of sin and unfaithfulness. Okay. So while the pastor who married us said to Debbie, you have grounds for divorce. Jim committed adultery. And Debbie said, I don't want God's exception. And I think that's what this is. I want God's design. And so she persevered and the Holy Spirit beat me up. And here we are. Okay. Uh, so that's I, deep. That's very deep. Yeah. So I don't think it's inconsistent with Jesus. Um, I think if he had just, you know, I think he understood if he just came out and said no divorce, that there, the hardness of our hearts would, would cause incredible discord. That's just me. Let's talk about sexual immorality for just a moment. Uh, you know, just to wrap up this portion. Uh, and we're 801, but we'll try to go 10 minutes and, and, uh, and then I'll, I'll bounce the ball to, to Don next week. And you come back when he comes on and say, well, hey, what you, what'd you study last week? You just, you just dump on him and let him talk his way out of it. It'll be great. Okay. We're going to remind him to record next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Greek word for sexual immorality is pornea. There's a word we know the root of, you know, pornography, but pornea. And it's not the same word as commit adultery. So Jesus is not not saying here specifically, you know, uh, anyone who divorces his wife except for adultery. Different word. He says sexual immorality. Now, it's interesting because sexual immorality could mean one of three, at least, things. It could mean premarital intercourse. Well, he's talking about married people, so that's not the one we're talking about. Incest is another word that could be, you know, taken from the word pornea. And maybe so, <laughs> you know, if there's incest, Jesus is saying that kind of sexual immorality uh, is devastating to the marital bond. But more generally, sexual, there were sexual sins that destroy the marital covenant. Now, again, you know, you know the, the, the man and the woman marry and they become one flesh, implying you know, something uh, uh, mystical is probably not the word we want to use, something spiritual that happens in the sex act, okay? There is a oneness that occurs not only in the vows before God, but in sexual intercourse. Now, I, I take that to also, uh, you know, go to 1 Corinthians, should have looked it up, 1 Corinthians 6, where... Paul talks about your bodies are the temple of God. Yeah, 6.18. And follows it shortly and says, you know, are you going to take, you know, the body of God and make it one with a prostitute? Or don't you know the scripture that says, and the two become one flesh? So something about, you know, the sexual oneness or the oneness that occurs with sexual intercourse and the the destructive nature of sexual intercourse outside of that marriage 
don't understand all the dynamics, but Jesus is saying that. And we'll have to figure out more about what that means. Finally, he says, he causes anyone who marries a divorced woman, commits adultery, and, and divorcing this woman causes her to commit adultery. All right, let's, let's see if we can figure that out. Here's one condition. If the woman committed sexual immorality, pornea, she's an adulteress. <laughs> because if she's married to someone and she had sexual immorality, then that means she committed adultery. And therefore, anyone who marries her would be entering into a prohibited union with her because she committed adultery. The other one is if she divorced is divorced unlawfully, say because her husband didn't like her anymore, then anyone who marries her is entering into forbidden territory because he is making her a victim of adultery. Why? Because she is still married to her original husband in God's eyes. <laughs> um, complicated stuff, best just to avoid the whole situation. Okay, here's a summary, and then I'll take a few quick thoughts, and then we'll bounce the ball to Don next week. And please, read over these verses again, come back and ask him, senior pastor questions. It'll be great. In summary, Jesus is against divorce. He's for marriage. He believes marriage is a sacred, holy, unbreakable union created by God to make a man and a woman one flesh. Because he believes this about marriage, he believes divorce is always contrary to God's creation designs. But it appears that Jesus goes along with the permission of Moses granted to sinful Israel permitting divorce for sexual immorality. And by extension, it appears as well that Jesus therefore also permits remarriage for permissible divorces that are on the basis of sexual immorality. But anyone who marries an impermissibly divorced woman makes that woman, causes her to commit adultery. Whew, that's a lot of heavy stuff. So I'm going to leave you with that. Any, any closing thoughts or comments before we wrap for this week? Thank you for being so intentional and attentive. Uh, can I just read one little part? You pointed us to Corinthians. And on uh, Corinthians 6.19, it says, it's talking about immorality, the subject yep. of immorality. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Yes. Yeah. I think that pretty much says it about immorality. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, thank you all. Hal and Ileana, you have some safe travels there, please. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. And, uh, and thank you to... Robin and Nubia, who I don't see, but I know are there. And, and Kyle, thank you for joining us. And all the rest of you regulars, appreciate it. You know, I hope you'll be back next week for Don. Uh, uh, let me pray, and, and uh, we'll just thank God for what he's done for us tonight. Father God, um, we've studied the words of your son, Jesus. And they are, they are not easy words. They are truth. They are life. There's freedom in them. Because, Jesus, you told us if we 
the more we know the truth, the freer we're going to be. Uh, and so, Lord, help us to just sit with you, uh, the, the, the adultery and the lust and, and the divorce uh, are all things that are near and dear to your heart. We want them to be near and dear to our hearts. So help all of us as we ponder this week to really, to really learn from you. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth, please, especially this week. Thank you, Jesus. We hope and pray that you've been honored and glorified in our time together. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, y'all. Bye, y'all. Bye. Good night. Good night. All right.